After a week off, it's episode 21 of Off Air with Joe. And Oral. We get to know Dustin May a little better. And an emotional series in San Francisco that Dave Roberts brings us up to speed on. Yeah, and Dave and I will let you know our shared tastes in ice cream. Or we'll let you know his much less exciting tastes (laughs) in ice cream. All that and plenty more coming up here on episode 21. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Shield of California, Postmates, SoCal Honda, and Bank of America. Blue is honest. Blue is strong. Blue doesn't divide. Blue embraces. Blue doesn't give up. Blue is courageous. Blue is the color of the sky we are all reaching for. Blue Shield is opportunity. Blue Shield is choice. Blue Shield is tomorrow. Blue Shield is healthcare coverage that covers more people. When it's time to choose, choose Blue Shield of California. From Dodger dogs to garlic fries, you can get a taste of the Dodger Stadium experience delivered on demand right to your home through Dodger's Home Plates, exclusively available through Postmates app. You can still enjoy your favorite Dodger Stadium dishes while you cheer on the team from home. As a special offer to our listeners, be sure to use the promo code OFFAIR, O-F-F-A-I-R, at checkout and get a free Dodger dog with your order. Hey, are you winking after you read that like we did on the uh, video commercial? (laughs) I smell something's good coming. Yeah, that was a wonderful (laughs) acting performance by you. Uh, The helpful SoCal Honda people have been stepping up to the plate with their random acts of helpfulness. Recently, they've been helping SoCal residents affected by the pandemic pay their rent and also volunteering at food banks to help feed the community. But the helpful Honda people aren't the only ones stepping up to the plate. The Dodgers are once again one of the best teams in the league and a favorite to win their first World Series since 88. SoCal Honda has been helping the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation at their Dodger Day drive through events throughout the summer. Together, they're working to help thousands of youth and families, and they can help you too with great deals on award-winning Hondas. To check their deals, stop by your nearest Honda dealer or visit SoCalHondaDealers.com. And to request your own random act of helpfulness, follow the SoCal Honda dealers on Facebook. A setback? Well, that's just a comeback you haven't met yet. While this season may look different, let's rally to support our team and a great cause. As the official bank of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers, Bank of America is launching a Let's Rally campaign and donating $10,000 to the Boys and Girls Club of America for each late-inning comeback to the win of a game. Up to a million dollars. As part of the effort to make a difference in the local communities, Bank of America has partnered with Dodger ace Walker Bueller and MLB players from each team to create a unique collection of 30 t-shirts. For each t-shirt purchase, Bank of America will donate $7 to the Boys and Girls Club of America, up to $200,000 for that one. At a time when our country faces its own comeback, Bank of America is excited to use its partnership with Major League Baseball and the Boys and Girls Club of America to give fans something positive to rally around. Learn more at MLB.com slash Bank of America. Let's rally. Dustin May, and we recorded this, by the way, last week. So if anything sounds a little bit off in terms of uh, the timeliness of it, it was recorded last week. Hope you still enjoy it, though. We get to know Dustin a little bit better. It's episode 21 of Off Air. Hit it, Frankie. Show. 
Dustin, I'm going to get right to the important stuff. I'm going to get the people what they want to know. What's your hair care routine? Uh, well, I, I normally wash it the day, uh, the day before and the day after my starts. And I use Curl Smith products. Um, they've been good. They've been, they've been treating me well for about six to eight months now, and I, I really like it. You have an endorsement deal with them? Uh, we're working on one. Yeah. Oh, I thought wow. it was a reason you mentioned that right away. I was like, okay, big league savvy. You're right. Uh, natural, natural curls to it. You big perm guy? No, it's all natural. <laughs> when did you start growing it out? Uh, I started growing it my junior year of high school. Uh, I just kind of, kind of cut it before my junior baseball season, and I was like, let's just see what it looks like when it's long. And then I actually really liked it, so I just left it. Do you get any pushback? Like your parents say, what are you doing? Or any of your coaches or anything? Or everybody on board right away? Uh, it was more so my mom at the start. And then like once it once it got past like the awkward stage length, then she really liked it. Was there any correlation between the length of your hair and the velocity of your fastball? Mm, Samson. No, there wasn't. <laughs> See, so I'm, I'm picturing like four and under. Dustin May just mowing kids down with these red locks flowing, but I guess it came a little bit later than that. Uh, but you didn't even pitch. You didn't even pitch a ton as a kid, right? You were more of a hitter until you got like partway through high school. Uh, I was like fifty-fifty. It was okay. It was even. Um, I actually enjoyed playing defense more. I just really disliked hitting a lot, hmm. so that was kind of my uh, cue to become a pitcher more. So that was that was my thoughts on that and. It was like my junior year, I was a shortstop and a, and a pitcher. And then my senior year, I just decided that I was like, I'm not going to hit. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pitch. So. Where'd you hit in the order? Uh, I actually hit third. I, I hit 330 my, my junior year. And I was like, this isn't me. I don't want to do this. Why didn't you like it? I, I just didn't want to. Honestly, I was probably just too lazy to work on it every day. <laughs> It's funny you say that because everybody talks about you as being this regimented, very hard worker who's going to do whatever you got to do. That just wasn't the case when it came to hitting, huh? For whatever reason. That describes me to a T. Like if I if I have if I have something that I want to do, like I set my heart to it and I I go do it, and I'm very regimented. But hitting, it was just always the thing growing up that my dad pushed me on, and I think it probably just pushed me away from it. Huh. So. So even when you had some great weekend tournament, I've heard 13 home runs in a weekend, you still didn't fall in love with hitting? <laughs> no. It, and the older I got, the more I disliked it. I mean, it Every was, pitcher wants to hit. Every pitcher like loves to hit. Until now. Yeah. I, are one of a kind. Yeah. Uh, tell us about Justin, Texas. Okay, it's it's just a small town. It's outside of Fort Worth. It's like on the outskirts. Um, it's kind of like a little hidden gem. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of great spots to go out to eat. There's a lot of great spots to just go hang out with friends and stuff. Um, but I mean, I, I really enjoyed it growing up. I mean, you're really close to the city, but you're far enough away to where you feel like the little country vibe as well. And that's that's kind of what I like. I enjoyed it a lot and. Uh, I look forward to settling down there after after the baseball career. What kind of things did you do outside of baseball growing up there? Uh, I just I we went to the movies a lot. I mean, we we hung out. Honestly, we just hung out at the around the baseball field a lot. I mean, we would just go up there and just talk, and we would 
honestly just go hit hit each other ground balls and just just mess around for hours. Um, we fished a little bit, but not a lot. Um, I'm not really huge into the the hunting thing. I would like to get into it, but it wasn't really my thing growing up. Um, I mean, there's really whatever you want to do. I mean, you can golf, you can do whatever. I wasn't big into golfing growing up, but I'm getting more into it as I as I get a little older. So. So you go home to Justin and mom cooks a home cooked meal. And then all of a sudden it's all right, let's go to dinner. What's your favorite restaurant there? And what do you get? Uh, I, I'm a big Tex-Mex fan. Um, Tex-Mex is probably my go-to in Texas, either that or, or a big steak. You got a hot spot there in Justin? Uh, yeah, we have a little mom and pop shop, like five minutes from my house called Margaritas. And they're absolutely phenomenal Mexican food. So really like that place two uh texas stereotypes football and barbecue i haven't heard you mention either one of those did you ever play football and uh you get into smoking foods uh i played football until middle school and the only reason that i played was because my dad made me (laughs) what'd you play Uh, i was quarterback okay but i never liked it it was never Uh, i don't know why but just never was um, but barbecue, yeah, I like barbecue food. Um, it's not really at the top of my list, but I, I will definitely eat it and enjoy it for sure. One of the other cultural things in Texas is uh, first car, or should I say first truck? What was yours? I had a 06 F-150. There we go. My dad wanted to get me a car because he wanted to get it just for gas mileage. And then we ended up coming around. We were going to look at cars on this Saturday. And one of my mom's, my mom's a teacher, and one of her um, ex-principals was selling her husband's um, old truck, and it was 06 F-150, and ended up being a really good deal, and I talked my dad into getting it for me, so I was really lucky with that. You can't be driving around Justin, Texas in a car. No. <laughs> right? I was, I was really praying that my dad was going to live. <laughs> yeah. When did becoming a pro baseball player become something that in your mind was a realistic possibility? Um, that would have been, I went to a tournament in Jupiter in August of my senior year. I hadn't talked to a pro scout, like nothing. And then I went to Jupiter. Uh, I hit 93, but I had the highest spin rate on my heater and on my curveball. And honestly, if I wouldn't have went to that, I wouldn't have gotten drafted probably. Hmm. That was like right when they first started using TrackMan stuff for for uh, non-drafted people, and uh, I had probably twenty teams reach out to me after that and set up home meetings. So it was it was really fast. It was like a whirlwind of events. I mean, it was kind of kind of a, like a cultural shock, honestly, because mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. Did you then just dive into data because that was one of the accesses to pro ball or are you a pitching lab guy? Where are you on that whole thing? Uh, I wasn't then. I honestly had no idea what any of it meant, but um, Connor McGinnis, I've had him all the way through the minor leagues. So he's really savvy with all that stuff. So I've gotten a lot more tech savvy and figured a lot of that stuff out just from being around him all the time. So he was definitely, definitely helpful with all that. 
Is it true, Dustin, that you you mentioned going to this tournament and everybody pays attention after that? True that you pretty much just woke up one day and suddenly you were thrown in the nineties? Like I read the story where the scout says we want to talk to you, and you said, "Well, I throw eighty-eight. What do you want to talk about?" And he said, "No, I had you at ninety-four. Yeah, that was that was really what it was. I mean, in my junior year of high school, I had topped out at at eighty-four. I had thought, and wow. then I had my because I didn't have a college coach reach out to me, nothing. And my high school coach was really good friends with the recruiting coordinator at Texas Tech, and he reached out to him. And they had just watched me pitch over video. They had never watched me. And this was after my junior year. And they, they offered me a scholarship, like, without even ever seeing me pitch. And I was – when I had thought I was throwing 84, it turns out a month and a half later I go to an area code tryout and I pumped, like, a 92 or 93. And then I get, like, 40 phone calls from colleges. And I'm like, sorry, I'm already committed because none of y'all called me two months yeah. ago hadn't known that I was throwing that hard and that was honestly like it was like wait I threw how hard like it really it I had no idea did it coincide with a growth spurt or some strength that you got or weight you put on I mean not really I I grew a lot going into my sophomore year of high school I went from five nine to six four over the summer like it was like (laughs) not a fun summer for for health wise because did your body hurt like every day yeah everywhere it, it really hurt just getting out of bed. Like wow. I grew so much that summer. And I mean, I really didn't put on a lot of weight. I mean, I graduated high school at 170 pounds and I, I'm the same height as I was then. I mean, it was just, so your so your legs are getting longer. Did they buy you like 32 inch waist pants, but 40 length and you just rolled them up and just slowly rolled them down? I was wearing 32, 38s. <laughs> <laughs> and just rolled them up and then slowly by the end of the summer you're like oh i'm using all of it yeah it was it was kind of crazy and my shoe size went from i think it was like a, a 10 or 11 to a 13 over the summer so uh, I, I grew out of a lot of shoes is it still size 13 <laughs> yeah it's still size 13. okay so i mean clearly until very late you had no plans of baseball being your career even even you know the Texas Tech thing happens, but what were you thinking life was going to look like when you were 22, 25, 30 years old? What were you going to be doing? I mean, I was planning on going to college, and I was I was either going to be a cop or honestly, I, I hadn't even really thought about it. Huh. I was just waiting to to go and kind of see that that venture. I mean, now looking back, if I would have had to go, I probably would have. Like I said, I would have liked to be a cop or some sort of mechanic because I like cars, but that was kind of, I guess, my thoughts. I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't have a for sure plan. Cars so, or trucks. Tr- <laughs> right, right. You, you see both. Uh, said somebody told you, I guess, let's see, four years ago now, four or five years ago, that in 2020, you're going to be in the conversation for National League Rookie of the Year. You would have said what? Well, after I got drafted, I had it in my head that I was, I was going to get to the big leagues in three years, and that was that actually came true. I don't know how it did. Why? Why? Why was that in your head? That seems crazy for a high school kid. That was just that was my goal, huh. and, and it, it came true. And I, I guess it was just I can put that to, I guess my work, my work effort, and uh, getting stronger and. Putting my putting more weight on and just being able to control my body more and figuring stuff out. 
So everybody has good days and everybody has bad days as a minor league player, even in general life, right? What is your reaction to your bad days when your goal is to get to the big leagues in three years? Uh, I mean, it was just like, I, I've got to be better. I mean, I, I kind of strive to always push myself to be in a, a better position. I'm never really satisfied. That's kind of been my thought process. And what my dad kind of shoved on me when I was a little kid is that you can throw a perfect game, but did you strike everybody out on three pitches or did you get everybody out on one pitch? On, it just depends on whatever you thought. I mean, you can always be better. There's never, there's never a spot to where you're going to be at your perfect point. So you just always have to strive for it. I know your velocity just ticked up again this year, and I heard you say that you feel pretty much the same. It's just there's more weight behind it. Where did that weight come from? You change your diet, you change your routine, or are you just growing into your body? No, it's something that I've, I've focused on every offseason. Every offseason, I've put on 10 to 15 to almost 20 pounds this offseason. Um, it was just, I just eat. I just eat until I just don't feel good. Every day. <laughs> it's, it's almost like an unhealthy amount in the offseason, and it's, it's just so I can put that weight on because I lose some weight during the season, so I want to get to like a higher weight than I thought that I wanted to be at. So this this offseason, my goal is to get to 215. I got to 224 at my highest weight, and I'm right around the 218 mark right now, and that's kind of where I'm hoping to stay at for the What does a normal day of eating for you in the offseason look like? Um, well, I, I normally get up, and I have – some sort of breakfast and then I'll have a protein bar on the way to work out. This was this off season. Mm -hmm. I had a protein bar on the way to work out. And then after my workout, I would get home, I would make a protein shake and I would have a pretty big lunch. Um, and then before dinner, I would have another protein shake and a snack of some sort. And then dinner, I would have dinner and then I would have two peanut butter and jellies and then a protein shake before bed. Two peanut butter and jellies and a protein shake before bed? It was a lot. And I guess. I, are they doing your body comp too, though? You're gaining weight, but are they doing body comp or are you, you staying the same as far as percentage of fat? I went up a little bit. Like I started in 17, I was at 7%, and I'm at right around 11% now. And I put on 50 pounds. So. Wow, that's good. So you always want to get better, and I don't know if you hear our broadcast or listen to replays, but you hear me talk about this, and Joe refers to it, that if you're going to make the next step to be elite of elite, it's probably going to be doing something with an off-speed pitch, whether it's a change-up, whether it's a breaking ball. And you've just said that you want to always be better. What are you working on? I've always – it's always been my problem. I've been, been being able to put the curveball in the zone. So – I feel like with, with this year, it's a little easier because I changed my thought process on it. Instead of being like a, a big curveball, I want it to be more of like a slurve. So it's, it's actually becoming a little easier to feel out of the hand. Um, just execution-wise, I just need to throw it more. Um, the more I throw it, the more feel I get for it in the game. So like if I'm throwing it one or two times in the game, I'm not really going to have a lot of feel for it. But if I'm throwing it quite a few times, I'll, I'll get the feel for it and also the changeup. The changeup when I when it's when it was on the other night, uh, it was pretty good. Not my last start, the one before last. It was it was pretty good. It's hard to recognize your changeup because it's like ninety one, ninety two. <laughs> yeah, it, 
that's what you got to look at is just this little <laughs> little bit of speed differential. Not not a lot, but uh, well, seven miles an hour is a solid changeup. And if you get to ten or twelve, you're talking about a swing and miss changeup. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like Dustin? Because we, we've mentioned a couple times that we feel like we're starting to see more of you, what's inside you, come out a little bit. We heard all about your fiery nature and how you wear your emotions on your sleeve coming up through the minors. Didn't see that as much as a rookie. We're seeing it more now. Do you feel yourself allowing that to come out more? Yeah. Last year, I just, it was almost like I was just like felt super pressured as a starter. And it was like I was going out there and I was just trying to, I guess, just prove why I should stay up a little bit. And now it's almost like I feel a little bit like more, more comfortable with my role, I guess you could say. So I'm just like settling in a little more and it's just coming out like it, it was in the minors, just starting to free flow and just be me on the mound. You were a good student or a bad student? And how are you into the prep that the major leagues kind of requires? Oh, I, I spend a lot of time prepping. Oh yeah. Big student. Um, I sit down and try, I mean, that's, that's kind of my thing right now. I'm trying to figure out how to get through outings and like sequence stuff better. Cause I wasn't really so much in the minor leagues because it was, it always just happened. They just, it was, you just out a billion. Yeah. And, and now it's, it's kind of settling into where I need to figure out how to like sequence pitches or I need to how to like set up guys to, to get quicker outs or like use breaking balls or changeups and better counts than, than I have been. And that's kind of, kind of where I'm at right now is just, trying to figure out how to get deeper into outings a little more efficiently. Another guy that uh, is very prepped and known for his maniacal prep and nature is Clayton Kershaw, another Texas guy. What was it like the first time you met Clayton? Uh, Well, the first time I met him, I think it was when I got called up, I think. Wow. It was his starting day, so I really didn't get to (laughs) – and say hello or anything because uh he doesn't talk to anybody on his starting day but <laughs> watching him just go about his business when i got called up it was kind of intimidating i was like wow this is this is for real nobody was joking when they said like he's super serious about this it was kind of cool to watch but that was the first like time i had like seen him and then the next day like we had talked and and went so what so forth has your game face changed after watching guys like clayton honestly i would kind of say that I'm kind of like that in a, in a sense, like when I get out on the mound, not so much before, like I, I can talk to people, but like, it's like, I'm super focused once, once I start doing my prep stuff in the weight room. So, I mean, I can kind of say it's kind of like that, but I'm same game face, but doesn't come on as early. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's next for you? Do you, do you daydream about things like obviously winning a world series, but being an ace of a staff, winning a Cy Young, having a long career, going to the Hall of Fame. Do those kind of things bounce around the mind of a 22-year-old experiencing success this quickly? No, 100%. I mean, that's always it's something you dream about as a kid. Um, just being up here is, is one of the dreams that have come true. So why not make them all come true? I mean, it's, it's all attainable now that I'm here, so I just got to go out and, and get it done now now that I have the opportunity. So, yeah, it's it's something that, that I think about, and it's something that I'm going to work very hard to achieve in my career for sure. 
Well, it's been, uh, it sure has been fun watching you over this first year and watching the strides that you've made. And we're going we're gonna to let you off the hook here, kind of let you off the hook. We should say put you on the hot seat with a really difficult question that Oral and, and I and Dave Roberts are going sure to have to answer. You sure you want to ask this, Joe? Oh, I'm going to go there. What's the okay. best ice cream flavor? Favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> um, that's got to be oh, – I have two. Okay. No, that would, that's what makes it a tough question. Yeah. So have you all ever heard of Brahms ice cream? It's a I Texas have. thing, right? Yeah, it's a Texas thing. Yeah. So, so they're orange sherbet and then bluebell chocolate chip are my two favorites. But if I had to pick one, I would go orange sherbet. Which is not an ice cream. No. It's an ice cream. <laughs> oh, it's not an ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Oral's giving you a hard time, but Dustin, we did our top four cereals a couple weeks ago, and Oral oh. answered oatmeal. What's like, everybody the- likes oatmeal, but if I ask you your top four cereals, you're Dustin, probably not back going me oatmeal, up. are you? No, I don't even. I wouldn't even consider oatmeal a cereal. Oh, Thank come you. on. Right. <laughs> While we're on the topic, do you have a favorite? Uh, my, I, I really only eat three, and it would be uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cookie Crisp, and Fruity Pebbles. So good. Those were all on my top I can't four. eat any of those at my age, all that sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to your oatmeal, Oral. Dustin, okay. thank you, man, and uh, continued success, okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. We're joined by the skipper of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts. Dave, what was the best thing you saw this week? Um, the best thing I saw this week, um, guys, this was a, this was a, uh, it was a really good week. Um, I, I said it on record a few days ago. It was very emotional uh, for me, and I was exhausted. Um, but I think the best thing I saw, which really uh, it's fun to talk about, is in our clubhouse where kind of the back and forth with Mookie and Clayton and everybody kind of chiming in on their thoughts on how we handle a protest game. And even looking out as far as the doubleheader of the following day and if guys were going to play or not play and how that kind of all came together. Certainly for me as a coach, we're trying to coach players into winning baseball games and become better baseball players. But that part of it, like the next layer of trying to develop character, um, what was really a highlight for me. I was actually, before we give our best things we saw this week, that was going to be the first thing we asked you about. I mean, the, I would imagine the conversations in the clubhouse were really emotional, were really serious conversations. Do your best to take us inside what the whole vibe was in there as those all went down. Well, I I think the vibe was very transparent. Uh, We had staff that usually don't speak up, speak up and give their thoughts. We had players that don't usually speak up, give their thoughts. Um, And I think it's just really understanding and hearing everyone kind of their thoughts. And really for me to facilitate, guys, we all care about each other. We all have to keep our open hearts, open minds. And then listen, um, and understanding also that everyone doesn't get to the place where one individual feels at that moment in time. So I think that right or wrong, I still think you got to be open to hearing people because everyone's had different cultures and upbringings. So I think for me, um, the players, the coaches, verbalize and Mookie with the Players Alliance, um, which is comprised of CC and a lot of black players, Adam Jones, Cameron Mabin, you know, these guys that kind of really come to the forefront. But for Mookie and the Players Alliance to hear the, the, their white teammates stand by their side on one day of protest, 
to then hear them to say, hey, we're not going to protest the next day to put you in an awkward spot. We want to be unified as you guys all want to be unified and aligned. So I think that was the biggest takeaway. And I think it was just more of it wasn't about baseball. It was about bigger issues and kind of talking about people's upbringings a little bit. Did you feel the pressure of what other teams were doing, like in the NBA? And did you feel the pressure of the timeline? Like, guys, we're having a meeting, but there is a time limit to how long we can talk about this. I I, I didn't feel pressure. Um, it was more of the fact that certainly the NBA kind of led this. And I do believe that things in our life are very reactionary. And um, at times it's very good and, and proper, but at other times you have to understand the end game and how you want to go about it. And so to have these conversations um, is important. And I thought that's what we did um, after that protest day. Um, but, you know, our guys made a decision ourselves, obviously Mookie and Clayton sort of leading it and driving it, but it wasn't a feel of pressure from any one particular team or NBA. As I watched the press conference that when you guys announced what was happening with Clayton Kershaw, a white man up there with you, a black man, a black man in Mookie Betts, black man in Kenley Jansen. It struck me of like the, the significance of the whole thing historically. And I would imagine while you were in it, while you were in those meetings, it would be hard to wrap your mind around the historical scope of it. But did that hit you in the days that followed? Like how big of a deal, not just uh, looking at it in the day, in the week, but like all time significance of this? Yeah, um, it did. It did. And I've always tried to understand that my lane is I'm a baseball coach. I, I love the game. I know the game. I'm educated. Um, but that's what I am. Um, and I'm a father, a husband. But I just think that nowadays and kind of reiterating that to the players that we just have a platform. And um, and I think to do the right thing, to say the right things uh, from the heart, from love, I think it's important. And so Clayton understands that. So there's other guys that have spoken out um, because I talk about legacy a lot with our players and my family and, you know, not being remembered as solely just a baseball player. I think that the legacy and the impact that you could have on individual communities, clubhouses, families, because the truth of the matter is that people, kids, adults see these guys and want to know their takes on things. And, um, you know, so for us to voice them is important. And it's kind of the whole mantra of if not now, when, and there's always going to be resistance and anything in history, I'm a history major in history, anything that has kind of come to pass, there's been resistance and that's just the way life is. And, uh, but it's still worth, worth the fight. You know, us getting educated on this, uh, through this whole situation and education, can you pull back the curtain on your family situation and how this all plays out within your family? I, I think the biggest kind of takeaway for me, and, I'm, and I've told you, Oral, maybe on, 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 on the side is, yeah. it's more of, I'm a little embarrassed and shamed that it's sort of taken me this long to really try to get, whether it's my black side, my African-American side, my Japanese side, um, because I was kind of, I was raised in the sense of be who you are, treat people with respect and love. Um, but my sister, truth of the matter is really identified and really tried to kind of learn the history of my ancestors on both sides and, and credit to her. Um, but I was kind of just focused on kind of being who I am. And, um, 
you know, fortunately, unfortunately, things have happened where it's really and my father has passed. So he hasn't got to see this and see kind of me step up in this kind of light. Um, but it's, it's made me really proud of what my father, even more proud of what my father really had to go through. I know that uh, for, for me and Oral, and I'm sure anybody that knows you, we're proud to call you a friend watching mm-hmm. you do what you've done over this last year and uh, especially in San Francisco last week. So thank you for, for doing what you did. Yeah, it's it's great. And I think that thank you for that. And, you know, this is it's interesting is we don't see fans every night and that's a big uh, void. Um, but the Zoom calls that we've had, um, people in their homes watching us and, you know, I get with you guys in the broadcast almost every night and you get interviews from players. And I do think that in a sense, it's a lot of the stuff that's happened is allowing people to kind of get to know us on a different level, which I which I really actually enjoy that. To transition a little bit, um, how about the situation and outspokenness of George Lombard, your coach? It, it's been fantastic. And George is one of those guys that um, really reserved, um, great worker, grew up uh, from a biracial, uh, biracial parents, um, some in the South in Georgia, some up there in the Northeast, and mom educated, come from affluence, uh, father uh, didn't, um, a, a black man, and so she was right there with Dr. King in, in, the, in the march for civil rights, um, John Lewis, and so for him, it's been like a, a trip down memory lane, a history lesson to kind of learn more about what his mom did and the significance. And man, I just can't. I mean, he's had an emotional time these last uh, couple months and tears and, you know, reaching out to his mom's friends and hearing what impact your mom, who has passed, I think, 35 years ago, you know, from a week ago, um, which was, I think, the same day we protested, which is really ironic. So uh, George has been doing fantastic in educating me alongside everyone around him. With Mookie, I, I can't help but think there's like some serendipity in him being here now with the organization that broke the color barrier. He's a superstar. He's a black man. And he's here now in 2020 when we're starting to have these conversations. Do you feel a little bit of that too? Like, like, it's just right place, right time, right guy, and a willingness and a courageousness to do what he's doing? I do. I, I do. I do think there's some serendipity to it. Um, you know, he's a guy that hasn't – he's not a very vocal person, mm-hmm. but um, a lot was made of his first speech in our in our first gathering at spring training. But he's really stepped up and voiced his thoughts, and I think that he's also built trust with his teammates and understands there's a bigger deal um, – and when people look to Mookie for a voice and he said it point blank, he goes, I got family back home that are, that are black and they expect certain things. I've got friends in baseball and outside of baseball that expect certain things. So you're towing the line. And again, you're not going to make everybody happy. you got to be true to yourself. And that's the thing that I'm just proud because everyone is kind of showing their authenticity. So for him, yeah, to be a Dodger right now, with Jackie Robinson, you know, the legacy there, um, him in Los Angeles have a fan base that's, uh, you know, a little different than the uh, Red Sox fan base. Um, and so I just think his voice, he feels just more empowered to, to voice some things. Significant stuff that we're seeing and that you guys are doing, no doubt about it. Let's shift gears a little bit. Oral, how about your best thing this week? Best thing for me is uh, 
it came after a tough thing because I was in charge of watching Blake, your son, and Blake's mm-hmm. about 19 months now, and I was wrestling with him a little bit, and I put him on the couch, and he was on his belly, and I turned away and looked away, and he decided to roll off and fall off, and the best thing I saw was he didn't get hurt. He was scared. <laughs> he cried a little bit. Mom and Dad didn't react. Uh, I didn't all of a sudden lose my privilege to play with Blake, so it was fantastic that he didn't get hurt. He'll be fine. You're just toughing him up. Love it, Oral. Yeah. Uh, For me, a little bit of self-serving one. Difficult crossover with my two jobs this year, the Dodger job and doing games for Fox with football season getting going and the shortened baseball season, so trying to do as much as I can. Finally got it figured out where I can do both, but I'm not going to miss any Dodger games the rest of the way, which is a a cool thing in a very short season like this, being able to do all of them. Well, that's a good thing for all of us and Dodger fans. That's great to hear. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. The other uh, big thing this week was the trade deadline coming and passing. Ross Stripling gets dealt, and I know a guy that was a a fan favorite and a favorite of those that got to know him. How difficult was that for you guys to pull off that deal and to say goodbye to him? Um, The the deal, obviously, Andrew and Mm -hmm. Andrew Friedman and baseball operations, and Andrew made that first call to Ross, and I followed up with a call, and it was difficult because, you know, when Ross is telling me I'm the only manager he's ever known, and this Mm -hmm. is the only organization he's ever known, um, and what he meant to the players, the clubhouse, and then people outside, I mean, this guy is first class all around, and um, to balance baseball with finance and, and his podcast and family, it's really cool because uh, that's pretty much a finished product and where you want all of your players to get to that point. Um, but I think that looking at our roster and the role potentially for Ross this year, as we look out to the playoffs, uh, even next year, um, it's a little bit muddied and cloudy. And so I think that it just, you know, it's one of those things personally, it's difficult, but I think on the professional side, he's going to have a better opportunity to be an impact player, pitcher, starting pitcher for the Blue Jays. So um, we're sad to leave, miss him and, and have him leave, but we're mm-hmm. really excited to see what's next for him. You know, and other than that move, did you hear of any big names that maybe, I know maybe you can't even mention them, but did it feel like there was a chance we would get a superstar? Because that was about the only thing you'd want to add to this roster. Yeah, you know what? I, I think that, you know, they, they were kind of looking around, but I really don't think that anything – um, got any momentum. Um, cause I, I talked about it, you know, we have to get something that's going to move the needle. And I think our club, um, with the starting pitching, we have the depth and the pen, the quality arms we have uh, in general. Um, and, and then the, the matchup ability, the, the talent on the offensive side, I just didn't, we didn't think that there was anything available. So really nothing came close to even serious. And isn't there something to it? Like, unless you're going to get that superstar player, Let's not touch it, man. Like, this feels really good. And, and why take the risk at uh, jarring something that you don't want to jar? Yeah, and, and I think I agree. And, and I think for us, it's a matter of, you know, because there's also no guarantee that this player comes in and performs up to expectations. So exactly. that's an unknown as well. But I think for us, we have the, we have the, uh, the players. Now we just got to go out there and play good baseball in October and through October. And if we do that, uh, we'll all get what we want. No assumption, but... Is there a timeline when you start looking like two weeks left in the season that I got to start getting people in order? I got to start making sure my bullpen usage is correct. I got to make sure that these pieces are still sharp, not just using anybody at any time like you are now and kind of keeping guys healthy, but really grooming for October. I I think, um, yeah, I I think two weeks is fair. 
with the bullpen, I think we've done a very good job of the roles or lack thereof, which I think is a good thing. Um, there's been a lot of up and downs for each guy, which has been good, which is something that potentially in the postseason you might do. Um, I think the only thing, the position player wise, I think that we're good. We're in a good place and understanding guys roles. And um, we're trying to get uh, JT. We'll get him back from the IL. Cody's had a little bit of a lat thing the last day or two. So we'll get him back obviously soon. But I think as far as the pitching, the starting pitching and, you know, when you're looking at the wild card series, first of all, there's only three starting pitchers. So then there's two guys that potentially could go to the pen. We've got to kind of figure that out. And I do believe that, you know, whoever these two guys are, they've got to get a little bit of runway to get that, to get acclimated. Um, and then you're talking about the division series where you need four starters. So it's kind of, kind of mix and match, but that's kind of the only question I think for me. One of the guys that's certainly part of that conversation is our guest this week on the podcast, Dustin May. So we enjoy getting to know him a little bit better. What is it uh, for you, Dave, over the last year as you've gotten to know him on the Major League roster? What are some things that we may not see when we're watching him on TV and seeing that red hair flow through the wind and the 98-mile-per-hour fastball? What are some things that have stood out to you kind of under the radar with Dustin? I think the curiosity. Uh, Dustin is, from last year on, he's at – pretty much every pen from the starters and just seeing how, whether it's Walker, whether it's Clayton, uh, whether it's Hunjin or Julio, these guys, him and Gonsolin both, they're just kind of very curious and wanting to see how guys work. Um, so I think that that's something that I'm really encouraged by and, and people don't really get to see that. He's open to getting better. And I think for me, uh, he's very good, matches up really well against the right-hander, but the efficiency, the swing and miss against the left-handed hitter, I think that we need to get better. Um, that's kind of tightening up the breaking ball. Um, and that's also the changeup. So he's open to that and he's getting better, uh, changing eye levels with the fastball. So he's very curious and he's very open to getting better. His favorite ice cream. We found this out as we segue our way into our top four, but his favorite ice cream is not even an ice cream. He said orange sherbet. <laughs> that's something that oral might do to us. So be careful. Hey, hey, I know. Hey. And I actually, Oral gave him crap about it. And I said, easy, Mr. Oatmeal. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Oatmeal's a cereal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in light of this really hot weather we've had the last several weeks, I know it's cooled off a little bit the last few days, but our top four ice creams, uh, we're going to bounce around. Doc, give us your number four. My number four is uh, Chunky Monkey. Um, that's a Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey. It's kind of the, the chocolate banana. Um, very good. Very good. You get them at, at amusement parks, too. Love that. I'm a big chunk guy. Like, I need some some of that in my ice cream. Oral? This is going to be great. You guys with these chunky monkeys and other things and me. Number four for me, vanilla. Oh, get out <laughs> oh, of town. Coming in, number four, vanilla. Uh, Just out of the money. Uh, okay. It goes good with everything. That's yeah. fair. And it's yeah, even right. good by itself, right out of the Hagen dazs container. Just grab there it out of go. the fridge. Don't even have to put it in a bowl. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's power move there. Just yeah. watch a sad movie or a Sarah Bareilles concert. Put your initials on top of it. Leave it alone, Dana. Yeah, it's mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with kind of a boring one for number four: mint chocolate chip. That's a good one. You can't. Uh -oh. go. That's my wife's favorite. You got got a little mint chocolate chip. You can't call that boring. <laughs> What's your third, Dave? Uh, my third is quarterback crunch. Remember that old uh, Baskin Robbins quarterback crunch? Um, no. It's kind of like a, a rice crispy, chocolate covered rice crispy. Uh, um, it's like the vanilla in there, but it's uh, yeah, it's the thirty one flavors. Quarterback crunch is uh, 
It's it's a it's a good one. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> oh boy. Oral chocolate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Pralines and cream. Pralines and cream. Or huh. some people call it like butter pecan. Yeah. Yeah. So pralines and cream, butter pecan. Yeah, it's it's a little rich to have a lot of it, but I like a single scoop of that just to kind of finish off a meal or just when you're walking by an ice cream parlor and you don't want to go too deep. I respect that decision there. And Thank I, you. Another, uh, another one down the middle for me here, cookies and cream at number three. Okay. Okay. I love that. Love that. My number two is almost like that. It's a chocolate chip cookie dough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I'm all about that. <laughs> Doc, you got the you got the longest names for your favorite. Ice I do, I do. Oh boy! And I'm going to Mr. Boring for my number two chocolate mint chip. Chocolate mint chip. Okay. It would have been number one, but I thought of another one that needs to be number one, and I'll tell you when it's my turn. All right, my number two, 21 Choices, a custom uh, frozen yogurt place in Pasadena, but it's like better than frozen yogurt. So they have one that is cookie dough and cinnamon toast crunch. In, uh, <laughs> in just like vanilla frozen yogurt. It's amazing. We got a similar palette there, Joe. You and yeah. I. Um, yeah. My number one is uh, Cold Stone. It's a cake batter, cake batter uh, and brownie. So it's like, I just love that that batter when you when you make a cake. But they have this flavor. It's called cake batter. And I add some brownie into it. And it is wow. just my end all be all. Well, let me interrupt Oral and tell you that my number one is cake batter from cold stone with brownie and cookie dough oh my gosh so yeah you and i need to go on some ice cream dates man that's right i'm in (laughs) oral my number one is only around and i don't eat it only at christmas a peppermint patty peppermint stick yeah the peppermint ice cream with the little bits of the candy cane in it and stuff i like it it's usually out around christmas it's one of the special flavors and that's that's my favorite Perfect. Kind of Love the same it. palette as number two with the mint chocolate chip. <laughs> of course, right? yeah. That's good. Semi-boring, yes. No, it's good. <laughs> You're a good guy, Oral. What do we got coming up this week, Doc? What are you looking forward to in these coming days? Um, yeah, so we're just going to finish up this series with the Diamondbacks. Um, we got the Rockies coming to town. We got the Padres. Um, so, you know, just kind of status quo. Just I want us to just keep playing good baseball. Uh, the wins were tallying. But I think for us, just stay healthy, play to win a baseball game each day. Um, you're starting to see the pitchers starting to get lengthened out a little bit. Uh, they're performing a little bit better for me as far as starting pitching. Got Walker back, um, which is which is really exciting. Um, just keep playing good baseball. Love it. We'll talk to you a week from now. Thank you as always, Doc. All Thanks right, fellas. Good catching up. Got a couple mailbag questions this week. One for you, one for me, Oral. I'll uh, fire away first. This one comes from Chris. He has a very important question. With the cancellation of the alumni game this summer, what are your emotions? Uh, The first emotion is that might have been the last time at the last one that I set foot on the Dodger Stadium mound and throw a baseball because uh, now at 61, next year's alumni game, if we have it, I'll be 62. Uh, I bowed out of a few at bats against younger hitters this year, and it's getting really tough to not only throw strikes and to keep the game moving for the fans, uh, but getting tough if the ball comes back at me. I'm not sure I can get out of the way, so that might be the last time. I'll, maybe I can stand on the third baseline and wave and get introduced, but I don't know about playing anymore. We're going to see about that. I've heard you say uh, maybe they could match the older gentleman up with the older gentleman and not have you facing like yeah, I don't know Andre Ethier. Right. Yeah, 
But, but Lee Lacey can still probably put enough bat speed on it to uh, hit the ball back at <laughs> Do me some about damage 80 miles an hour that I can't see. We'll see, you know. Yeah. I, I say that now, but usually you, you grow, you know, you get a little bit pumped up when all of a sudden you get to. I love my, the thing I would miss most is playing catch with Fernando every year we play catch. And oh, yeah? that's a blast just to play catch with Fernando. And Does he, he still try to throw a screwball? For sure. He tried to throw a screwball. He tries to hit me in the kneecap. He, <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun. I catch the ball behind my back a few times. That's when we used to play catch. I'd have him throw it as hard as he wanted, and I'd catch it behind my back. So we, we'd have some fun. Well, I got one can, for you. Hold on, though. Can Go you ahead. still make a ball move? Uh, yeah, I can get it. You can get it rotating the correct way. Um, I can't do it from the same arm angle. My arm won't get it up as high. Uh, and then, you know, you just need the hand speed and the hand strength. But uh, that's what I'm going to talk about on the, on the broadcast tonight. Was I'm going to talk about hand discipline because uh, there's some hand bis- discipline things going on, I think, with Walker Bueller and mm-hmm. with uh, the pitcher tonight. Zach so, Gallon. Yeah, with Zach Gallon, mm-hmm. I think, also. So it's going to be fun to talk about it. But I think, it's a, I think it's an important part of pitching that people don't talk about very much. They, they talk about grips. But what good is a grip if your discipline from your wrist all the way up to the top of your fingers is not discipline and you're not getting it in the same position? And people will talk about arm angle and you know getting your arm up and maybe even some people a next level person might think about getting the ball out of their glove correctly which i think is huge cuz you got to start the route correctly so there's some there's a few details there that uh, i think both these guys tonight when they're really good uh, they get right in the right place and there's a wide range of variables in the hand and from the wrist up to the fingertips like you could be in a million different places exactly and especially when your hand collapses backwards that's when i think most of the bad pitches happen or the flat pitches good pitches happen from a flat hand to a forward hand think about like finishing the pitch with your fingers and the palm of your hand and pushing through it but the the bad ones come from it's a sub it's a subtle subconscious adjustment sometimes because you have the wrong arm angle so you feel like subconsciously if i stay on top of this ball and really finish it i'm almost going to spike it right in front of me so i have to drop my elbow and collapse my hand to make this ball go in the air all the way to home plate and that's where you get a lot of those flat pitches where guys hit them a long way the one for you though is kind of like this you know, Tom Adams wants to know what type you hint all the time about you were a baseball player and you were, but what type of baseball player were you? Um, a good high school player that probably could have played a little bit low level college. I went to division three to play football, but I went there thinking I was going to play both. Um, just decided after, after a football season and being the quarterback that I should be around for off-season workouts and all that. And probably was going to be a little too much on my plate to do both. So the career ended at the end of high school. Uh, was a shortstop growing up. And then I got screwy with my throwing motion, bleeding over football, baseball throwing motion. They're different. And I was kind of mental. It probably surprised you that I overthink things. So I moved to first <laughs> no. base and mostly played that final couple of years in high school. But you had already known like long ago that you wanted to broadcast. So really the sports were like part of your life, but they weren't your main goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was still my obsession to be great at, playing the sports yeah uh but i used to like 
I would do play by play of our practices while I was standing at first base, you know. So I knew where I knew where my bread was going to be buttered. I didn't have any uh, illusions that I was going to play major league baseball. That's for sure. That would be funny to watch the guy take a lead off first, and now you're pitching, and I'm pitching, and you're you're broadcasting. And Hershiser comes set. He yeah, looks, He checks me. He checks me at first. <laughs> yeah. He's. I'm taking a big lead. I might run. <laughs> no, I know if I'm going to run or not. I just can't say it out loud. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do we got coming up this week? What are you most looking forward to? Uh, watching your kids on Saturday, of course. All right, Letting you and Libby go to breakfast. Let go to breakfast. You guys get to go hang out. I don't know. You go do your grocery shopping. I don't know what you do. You guys, you don't tell us. We love watching the kids. Yeah, so that's actually what I'm most looking forward to, too, is dumping my kids at your house. And we didn't get to share it because last week we didn't do the podcast, but the weekend before you guys watched the kids and took them out to breakfast, and we warned you, don't do that. Like, they're a handful. (laughs) Just, we told you, don't do it. But they behaved okay for you. They were great. So Oral, Oral and Dana were sending Libby and me, my wife, videos of the kids like five minute videos i'm like we're basically going live with these guys as they watch the kids and one of the videos was of blake my almost two-year-old son yeah. at this point had been outside for a couple hours i think and they tired him out walked him tired through him target out walked him to the yeah. breakfast place so he was tired laying in a booth laying on the diaper bag on his back with a jelly this toast. ugly looking piece of jelly toast just kind of licking the jelly off laying there it was hilarious well dana was like he's getting tired we should take him home i'm like no 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 we're supposed to tire him out not let him nap we've got to yeah, keep nope. him on schedule here can't mess up the schedule that's key i gave him orange juice and jelly toast just to give him a little more sugar to get him keep him awake <laughs> perfect and then he crashed just on time for a nap yeah well he loves his oral oral dana <laughs> Dana, yeah. he's, he's saying both names now. He loves you guys. We know how to, we can purchase our love. <laughs> Target. <laughs> smart, smart people. Love yeah. you, man. I'll see you at the park in a bit. Love you too.